Tale four of the story of King Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Russell Newton. The story of King Arthur in twelve tales by Winona Caroline Martin. Tale four. Gareth the kitchen knave. And Gareth said, Full pardon, but I follow up the quest, despite of day and night, and death and hell. Tennyson's Gareth and Lynette Mother, when will you let me go to King Arthur's court? Queen Bellicent, the wife of King Lot of Orkney, raised her troubled eyes to meet the pleading gaze of her youngest son, Gareth. Oh, Gareth, Gareth, she replied in a voice from which tears were not far distant. You were still a child, and have you no pity for my loneliness? Both your brothers are in Arthur's halls, unless one, or both of them, is at this very moment lying dead, pierced by a dozen wounds. You do not know what it means to be a knight and daily risk your life in brain-stunning shocks and tourney-falls. Ah, mother, mother, cried the young man with kindling eyes, it is for that very reason that I long to go. No, no, my son, said Bellicent, and shook her head sadly stay a while longer follow the deer in your own father's forests and so make your manhood mightier day by day follow the deer mother i must follow the christ and the king or else why was i born mother what can i do to prove to you that i am no longer a child but a man ready to take a man's part in life do well what would you do to prove it you who have never felt a finger ache or a pain do ah mother I would walk through fire. You would walk through fire, you say? And Bellicent smiled a strange smile. In that case, you surely would not mind a little smoke. A little smoke? Ah, surely not, mother, exclaimed the boy in surprise. Then I will let you go. Truly, mother? On one condition. Yes, anything, anything, only... Then listen carefully, said Queen Bellicent slowly. You may go, if you will go disguised and hire yourself out to serve meats and drinks for a year and a day among Arthur's scullions and kitchen knaves. Having said this, the queen smiled to herself, for she believed that her princely son was far too proud to submit himself to so humiliating a test. The boy was silent for a while. Then he replied gravely, Even though my body were in bondage, mother, I should still be free in soul, and I should see the jousts and hear the talk of the brave knights and see the face of the king now and then. Yes, mother, I will do as you say. Then Bellicent realized that her son was in earnest indeed, and she made no more attempt to prevent his going. One morning, a few days later, therefore, while the anxious mother was still asleep, Gareth quietly arose, and taking with him two faithful serving-men who had waited on him since his birth, set out for Camelot. The three, dressed like tillers of the soil, journeyed southward for two days until one fair morning, they saw the spires and turrets of the mystic city pricking through the mist. Presently they came to the wonderful gate upon whose keystone stood an image of the Lady of the Lake who had given Excalibur to Arthur. Her garments seemed to be sweeping from her sides like water flowing away, and in the space to left and right of her the young king's wars were shown in weird devices. Gareth and his companions stood staring at this curious gate so long that at last it seemed to them that the pictured dragons upon it began to move and seethe and twine and curl, 
as if the whole portal were alive, while from within came a sound of weird music, so that the two serving men would gladly have turned back fearing enchantment. But Gareth pressed right on until he stood in the long vaulted hall of the royal palace itself, where the king sat upon his throne delivering judgment. While Gareth waited, he saw one person after another having a complaint to make or a boon to ask brought before Arthur, who, after listening carefully to the story, would assign the writing of the wrong, if such he deemed it to be, to one of the tall knights that ranged themselves about his throne, so that every now and then one of these would ride away upon his appointed quest. At last it came Gareth's turn to make his plea. Stepping forward, therefore, leaning upon the shoulders of his two servitors as if needing support, he approached and said, A boon, Sir King. Then, as Arthur bent forward graciously to listen, Grant that I may serve among your kitchen knaves for a year and a day. Then, having grown strong with meats and drinks from your table, I shall be able to fight. The king looked at the boy in surprise, for neither his face nor his stalwart young body showed any sign of weakness or starvation. Presently, he said, You appear to be a goodly youth, and worth a goodlier boon. Still, as this is what you ask, let it be so. I therefore hand you over to the care of my seneschal, Sir Kay. Gareth turned, and looked into the eyes of the man who was henceforth to be his master, and certainly the sight was not at all reassuring, for Kay was the surliest and most unpleasant-looking of all the knights at Arthur's court. Humph, he now said crossly, a good-for-nothing fellow, no doubt, who has run away from some abbey where he's been too lazy to earn his food, but he shall work now, I'll see to that, never fear. It chanced, however, that Launcelot, the most illustrious of all the knights and Arthur's dearest friend, was standing by and overheard Kay's remark. Kay, Kay, he said, after having taken a good look at the lad, you may know a great deal about dogs and horses, but not much, I fear, about men. I advise you to treat that boy kindly, for if he is not noble-natured, I am much mistaken, and you may some day discover that he is also of noble blood. Tut, replied Kay scornfully. If he were noble, would he not have asked the king for horse and armor instead of food and drink? Yes, I see that his brow is smooth and his hand is white, but I will soon alter that when I get him among the pots and pans. Then turning to Gareth, Come along, Sir Fair Hands, come along with me. So Gareth passed with Sir Kay from the bright glory of Arthur's Hall down into the smut and grime of the kitchens, where he submitted day after day to being hustled and harried by a master who had no love for him. Thus the first long month of his servitude wore away. Then one day, when the lad was scrubbing away as usual at his pots and pans, seeing how brilliantly he could make them shine, and pretending to himself that he was burnishing his armor, Sir Kay strode into the room and said gruffly, "'Ho, ho, Sir Fair Hands! We shall see what is about to happen to you now. The king himself has sent for you, doubtless to reprimand you for some villainy which you have succeeded in concealing even from me. Go along at once.' Now, though Gareth's conscience was clear, he could not but help being seriously disturbed by this unexpected summons. When, therefore, having hastily washed off the grime and made himself as presentable as possible, he found himself once again in the presence of the great king, he was much surprised to read in Arthur's smiling countenance no sign of anger or disapproval. "'Gareth,' said he when the two were alone, "'I know your secret. Your mother has repented of the hard promise she made you give. She has, therefore, sent me a message explaining all and releasing you. A man is sometimes knighted, Gareth, on the field of battle for some deed of special bravery. I am about to knight you now, my boy, for the same reason. But, my lord, cried Gareth in astonishment, I have as yet done no brave deed. 
"'That is a question of which I will be the judge,' replied Arthur gravely. "'A man on the battlefield, or in the tourney, has the encouragement of the plaudits of his fellows, and is spurred on by excitement and the hope of winning glory. But you have toiled nobly in humiliation and obscurity. Therefore kneel, Gareth, and receive the order of knighthood.' At those words of praise from the lips of whom the lad honored as he honored no other human being, Gareth's eyes filled with tears, and he knelt humbly to take those vows, as is a shame a man should not be bound by, yet the which no man can keep. Then the king gave him three strokes with the flat of his sword, and Gareth arose, a kitchen knave no longer. Now, said Arthur, still smiling, is there another boon that I can grant you, Sir Gareth? The lad pondered for a while. Then he said, I am now a knight, Sir King, but I am not yet proven. Grant, therefore, that I may wear my disguise a while longer, and give me the next quest. So shall I spring like flame from ashes. I will grant that boon, replied the king gravely, on condition that my friend Sir Launcelot may share the secret. To this Gareth agreed readily enough. So he returned to the kitchen to await impatiently the king's next audience day. And he had not long to wait, for Arthur held himself ready whenever possible to hear the complaints of his subjects. It happened, therefore, one fine morning in early summer, that a maiden of haughty bearing and high lineage passed into Arthur's hall, and, scarcely waiting to do obeisance, burst out with her grievance. "'Sir King, you have truly driven the heathen from the land as you promised, but bandits and robbers still infest many a bridge and ford. If I were king, I should not rest until the loneliest spot in the realm were as free from bloodshed as your altar-cloth. Fair maiden, replied the king, courteously ignoring her lack of courtesy, rest assured that I and my knights will never lay aside our arms while there is one lonely moorland that is not as safe as the center of my hall. Pray, tell us your name and your particular need." My name, said the damsel proudly, is Lynette. My need is a knight to do battle for my sister, the Lady Lioners, who lives in Castle Perilous, about which a broad river winds in three loops. Spanning these loops are three bridges, guarded by three bandit knights, while a fourth, the most terrible of all, keeps her a prisoner in her own castle, and besieges her there, endeavoring to break her will and force her to wed him. Therefore have I come to you, Sir King, for your very best knight, who is Sir Launcelot, as everyone knows. Send us no other, I pray you, for already fifty of your knights have given their lives in this cause, as their shields testify, for they hang as trophies about the black tent of that fourth knight, whose face no man has ever seen, and whose voice no man has ever heard. When she had finished speaking there was silence in the hall, save for the clinking sound of weapons about to be withdrawn from their scabbards. Then in another moment every sword in the room was being pointed forward and upward, while the cry rang through the whole castle, "'The quest, Sir King!' For the instant Arthur, so absorbed had he been in the maiden's story, had forgotten Gareth and the promise he had made him. He was smiling now as he paused before assigning the adventure to Launcelot, to look down upon that forest of swords which spoke to him so eloquently of the valor of his knights. Suddenly his eye fell upon something that was truly an amazing sight. This was a great iron spit, raised as high as any sword by the begrimed hand of one of the kitchen knaves. Then the king remembered. His face first flushed, and then paled, for he knew that Gareth, though of royal blood, was nevertheless but a boy as yet unproved, and he knew, too, that this was a quest in which many a full-grown man had failed. 
Yet he had given his word, and the word of a king may not be broken. Therefore, turning to the poorly clad scullion, he bent his head, saying, Sir Fairhands, the quest is yours. Up to that moment, in the general excitement, none of the knights had noticed the entrance of this intruder in their midst. Now, however, every eye in the room was turned upon the spot where poor Gareth stood with his spit still in his hand. It was a rule at Arthur's court that there should be no murmuring when a quest was assigned. But never before had the self-control of the knights been put to such a test as this. For a while there was a dead silence, which was broken presently by Sir Kay, who could not repress a deep grunt. Then the maiden, having at last realized what had happened, burst forth. "'Shame on you, Sir King, and shame forever on your boasted order of the round table. I, a maiden of gentle birth, have asked you for your best knight, and you have given me your kitchen knave. Your kitchen knave!' Then before anyone could stop her, she turned her back on the king, fled from the room, and was on her horse and away. Gareth, however, had no idea of losing his opportunity. Loosening a string, therefore, he allowed his kitchen garb to fall off, revealing the fact, to the amazement of all present, that he was clothed underneath in a full suit of glittering jeweled armor. Then, throwing aside his spit, he seized spear and shield, gifts from the king, and leaping upon a war-horse, another gift, was after the fleeing maiden, before the spectators had had time to recover from their surprise. Just beyond the gates of the city he overtook her, and saw to his dismay that despite his transformation the flush of anger deepened in her cheeks at the sight of him. Nevertheless, he addressed her most courteously. "'Fair damsel,' said he, "'the quest is mine. Ride, and I follow.' At this the maiden drew herself to her full height and answered, while her black eyes flashed scorn upon her would-be champion, "'Sir Scullion, I have but one request to make of you, and that is that you leave me this instant.' Far rather would I fall a prey to bandits or wild beasts than be protected by such as you. Leave me, I pray you, for you smell of the kitchen. Damsel, replied Gareth, still as courteously as ever, say what you please to me, but whatever you say, rest assured I will never leave you till I achieve the quest or die in the attempt. Ride, and I follow. Upon hearing this, without another word, the maiden spurred her palfrey in a vain attempt to outdistance her protector and so they rode through deep woods until the shades of night overtook them, and they were obliged to seek shelter at a neighboring castle. The next morning, however, the two were early on their way once more, and Gareth had begun to think that the fair Lynette would never deign to speak to him again, when suddenly she reined her horse, thus allowing him to come up with her, and said, "'Sir Scullion, we shall soon reach the first loop of the river which is guarded, as I told the king, by a bandit knight. He calls himself Morning Star.' and I advise you to turn back, for no kitchen knave could ever hope to do battle successfully with such as he. Madam, said Gareth firmly, as I have told you before, this quest is mine. I pray you, ride on, and I follow. She said no more, but scornfully obeyed his command, and it was not long before they came to a bridge which spanned a narrow but deep stream. On the farther side Gareth beheld a silk pavilion, gay with golden streaks and rays of the lent lily except where the dome rose high and purple from the top there floated a crimson banner and beneath an unarmed warrior was pacing to and fro at sight of the maiden's champion the knight gave a strange call whereupon three beautiful silken-clad maidens the daughters of the dawn whose golden tresses were begemmed with drops of morning dew 
came forward and clad the warrior in light blue armor and placed in his hand a blue shield in the center of which shone a morning star then the knight leaped upon his horse and with fiery speed he and gareth shocked together in the center of the bridge so that both their spears were bent then each hurled a stone from his catapult after which gareth recovering himself lashed so fiercely with his brand that he drove his enemy backward down the bridge until his own shield was broken but the morning star lay groveling at his feet spare my life sir knight i yield the great warrior was now crying i will spare it replied gareth on condition that this maiden asks me to do so insolent scullion cried the damsel flushing must i stoop so low as to ask a favor of you i will not then he shall die said gareth quietly stop rascal cried lynette as gareth began to unlace the warrior's helmet it would be a shame for me to allow a knight to be slain by a kitchen knave therefore i ask you sir scullion to spare his life rise then said gareth to his fallen enemy but give me your shield in place of my broken one and ride to arthur's hall and there tell the king that his kitchen knave has achieved one-fourth part of his quest then to the maiden he said ride damsel and i follow on they went those two strange companions reviler and reviled while the sun gradually rose higher in the heavens and the heat grew more and more oppressive toward noon lynette slowed her palfrey once again and turning to her champion said sir knave by some evil chance you have managed to overcome a knight think not however that you will be able to stand against him whom you are now about to encounter he calls himself noonday sun and his strength as far exceeds that of his brother morning star as the light of the sun at noon exceeds that of the star that fades in the blue of dawn i warn you for the second time to flee but gareth's only answer was maiden the quest is mine ride and i follow within a few more moments they had reached the second bend of the river where they beheld sitting astride a huge red horse the terrible noonday sun this man's armor and shield were so brightly burnished that they seemed to cast off sparks so that gareth was nearly blinded by their splendor at sight of the boy this mighty warrior gave an angry cry and plunged into the foaming stream where gareth met him halfway four mighty strokes they gave each other with their swords then because there was no room in the whirling waters for any tourney skill gareth feared that he would be overcome and put to shame before the maiden just then however the knight raised his ponderous arm for a fifth stroke whereupon his horse slipped in the stream and the waters extinguished the light of the noonday sun gareth however was too true a knight to take such an advantage of his enemy he put his lance across the ford therefore and with great difficulty managed to bring him to shore but the warrior was no longer willing to continue the contest so gareth spared his life at the request of the maiden upon the condition that he ride to arthur's court and informed the king that one half of the kitchen knave's quest was now achieved then the two rode on once more through long hours of the sultry afternoon toward evening the maiden reined her horse again and began to speak in a voice that seemed to gareth just a trifle less scornful sir scullion said she for kitchen knave you have truly done well nevertheless if the noonday sun horse had not slipped you certainly would not have been the victor therefore i advise you to leave this quest for the man that you are now to meet as an opponent is an old and seasoned warrior who calls himself evening star you'll have little chance to stand against him i assure you be wise and flee for your life while there is yet time maiden said gareth as courteously as ever 
the quest is mine ride and i follow so they rode and presently reached the third loop of the river which was spanned by a bridge of treble bow beyond this bridge outlined against the rose red of the western sky stood a huge figure wrapped in hardened skins that fit him like his own see whispered the maiden in a frightened voice if you should succeed in cleaving his armor those skins would turn the blade of your sword oh gareth gareth be careful at that new tone the lad's heart leapt within him for joy but he had not long to consider its meaning for the evening star was now calling to him from the bridge oh brother star why do you shine here so low your ward is higher up but tell me have you slain the maiden's champion then the damsel saw that he was mistaking gareth for his brother because he bore the morning star's shield and cried out to him no star of yours but shot from arthur's heaven with all disaster to you and yours both your younger brothers have gone down before this youth and so will you sir star are you not old yes old laughed the knight both old and hard with the might and breath of twenty such boys then he blew a fierce blast on his horn whereat from out a storm-beaten and many-stained pavilion came a grizzled old woman who armed him in battered arms and brought with a helm and a drying evergreen for a crest and a shield whose emblem was a half-tarnished evening star thus equipped he leaped upon his horse and he and gareth hurtled madly together on the bridge three times in that terrible struggle the lad threw his opponent and three times he saw him rise again as strong as ever until gareth was panting hard and his heart fearing that it would now be overcome labored within him just at this moment however above the din of clashing arms he heard the voice of lynette well done brave knight she was crying o oh, knave as noble as any knight shame me not o oh, good knight knave strike you are worthy of the round table his arms are old he trusts his hardened skin strike strike then gareth encouraged by this unexpected praise smote with such might that he hewed off great pieces of his enemy's armor and at last succeeded in hurling him headlong over the bridge panting still he turned to the maiden saying three-fourths of my quest is now achieved fair damsel ride and i follow but lynette answered very very gently i lead no longer you are the kingliest of all kitchen knaves right at my side i pray you so the two rode side by side as the long summer twilight deepened about them after a while the maiden spoke again and all her former haughtiness had left her so that her voice was sweet and shy sir she murmured sir whom i would now call knight if i had not heard you call yourself a knave i am ashamed to have treated you so discourteously i am of noble birth and i thought the king scorned me in mine when he assigned the quest to you but now i humbly ask your pardon for i know that whatever may be your rank you have a princely heart damsel said gareth gently you are not at all to blame except for mistrusting our good king know then that i am no kitchen knave but the son of king lot and queen bellicent of orkney and if i had any but a princely heart i should shame my birth then they rode again for a long time in silence after a while lynette spoke once more sir prince i feel that the time has come when i must warn you but do not i pray you think that i speak any longer in scorn you have fought valiantly i doubt if launcelot himself could have performed greater feats but now i plead with you to turn back you are wounded i know although you have not told me 
wonders you have done miracles you cannot do this knight who guards the castle is not a man but a monster who calls himself night or death no mortal has ever seen his face uncovered or heard his voice and his appearance is too terrible for me to describe i beg of you to turn back and leave the achieving of this part of the quest to launcelot whom the dreadful one challenged but gareth only shook his head and rode on saying this quest is mine fair damsel in spite of day and night and death himself and now heavy clouds began to gather hiding the friendly stars from their gaze while the air took on a strange midnight chill presently lynette leaned toward gareth and whispered in an awed voice there and through the gloom gareth perceived standing beside what he guessed to be castle perilous a huge black pavilion with the black banner trailing from its peak in an instant before lynette could prevent him he had seized a long black horn that hung nearby and blown a blast that sent a ghostly echo through the night then he waited but there was no response save from the castle windows where lights began to twinkle and pale faces were seen peering out again he blew and a third time then at last the great black doors of the pavilion were slowly drawn aside and there issued forth a hideous figure in coal-black armor seated upon a huge black horse and bearing a black shield whose emblem was a white breastbone barren ribs and a grinning skull through the dim light this frightful apparition advanced then paused speaking never a word and now gareth really believed that his last hour had come for all things seemed to be enveloped in a cloud of nameless horror suddenly the great black war-horse gave an unexpected lunge forward and those that had not closed their eyes in terror saw death reel in the saddle and drop to the ground with a mighty crash in an instant gareth had leaped from his own horse and with two mighty strokes managed to split open the enemy's armor then out peeped the bright face of a blooming boy before gareth could recover from his astonishment the child was kneeling before him and pleading do not slay me sir knight i beg of you my brothers morning star noonday sun and evening star made me dress up in this way to frighten other knights away from the lady lioners but my child asked gareth kindly what madness made you challenge launcelot the chief knight of arthur's round table fair sir they made me do that too the boy replied for they hated launcelot and hoped to slay him somewhere on the stream they never dreamed that he could pass all three bridges then gareth gently raised the lad bidding him to have no fear and the two followed lynette into the castle where the lady lioners stood waiting to welcome them and where she speedily made ready a great feast in honor of gareth and the overthrow of death now some say that prince gareth married the lady lioners while others say that he married lynette but however that may be when he rode back to arthur's hall with his bride he found that one of the sieges of the mystic round table glowed with the letters of his name End of section 4